2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to look today at verses 13 through 14. Paul says, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word now, I pray we would receive it as such as the very word of God and not the words of man. We thank you for your inspired word. It is God-breathed. It is inerrant. It is authoritative. It is for our good and for our sanctification. So Lord, meet with us now by your spirit, working through your word. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul and and who he was before he was the Apostle Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus. And I was trying to think about, as this sermon today is called God's Resume for the True Believer, I was thinking about what Saul of Tarsus, what his resume would have looked like if he had posted that on Monster.com. I had to look up and see if Monster.com was still a a thing. It is. Uh, You hear a lot about Indeed.com and LinkedIn today, but if Saul of Tarsus had a resume before his conversion to Christ, what would that look like? And so I just thought about at the top, Saul of Tarsus, goal and objective to get into heaven. Education, PhD and the law of Moses, and tutored by Gamaliel. Experience and accomplishments, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. See Stephen, the martyr. And as to righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Well, that's a guy you'd want to hire if you're looking for someone to represent Judaism. But then I think about the resume of Paul. As a believer in Christ, what would it have looked like? And I think Paul's resume as a believer would just say, Jesus Christ. It's all him. As he tells the Corinthian believers, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. And Paul knew that was true of himself. It was because of God that Paul was in Christ Jesus. And so today I would like to show you what the resume of a true believer in Jesus Christ looks like. The resume of a true believer in Jesus Christ. Number one we would see that he is beloved by the Lord. Beloved by the Lord. Look at verse 13 again. Paul says, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. I want you to see the emphasis that Paul places here on God. He says, we should always give thanks to God. Brethren, beloved by the Lord. Thanks goes to God because Salvation is of the Lord. How good is it today to be beloved by Almighty God? In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 to 25, we read that 
Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she gave birth to a son, and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. Solomon means beloved of the Lord, loved by Yahweh. Now that's a name. And love begins with God and not with man. None of you, none of us who are here today in Christ, none of us woke up one day and said, I think today I will become a Christian. I think today I will begin loving God and I'm going to do that on my own. 1 John 4, 7 to 10 tells us this, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Later in that chapter, John says, we love because he first loved us. God loved us when we were unlovable. God loved us when we were dead in our sins. God loved us when we were his enemies. Paul talks about this in Romans 5, verses 8 to 10. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The love of God that we just sang a few minutes ago that we almost didn't sing was written in 1917 by F.M. Lehman. And I just want you to hear those words again. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Another hymn, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus, written by S. Trevor Francis. The words are so good. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never, nevermore. How he watches o'er his loved ones, died to call them all his own. How for them he intercedeth, watcheth over them from the throne. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, love of every love the best. Tis an ocean vast of blessing. Tis a heaven or a haven sweet of rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me. And it lifts me up to glory for it lifts me up to thee. Paul tried to explain the love of Jesus Christ to the church at Ephesus. But as he was writing about the love of Christ, he realized that he couldn't really explain it. That it is so great that it surpasses all knowledge. 
Paul would write in Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Friend, if you are in Christ today, you are loved by God. You are his beloved. And that love is not temporary. That love is not fleeting. And that love will never fade away. God has loved you, as Jeremiah says, with an everlasting love. He will never, ever stop loving you. Just stop and think about that for a moment. God's love will never end, and that is incredible. How good it is to be loved by God today. Amen? Number two, we are chosen by God. Paul says here in verse 13, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. We have to define beginning. What does that mean? The Greek word here is arche. It means beginning or origin. And I believe that Paul does this in his letter to the Ephesians. The opening words of that chapter, chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Chosen before the foundation of the world. How incredible. Notice again there, here, that the emphasis is on God. Paul says here in verse 13, we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you. This echoes what Paul wrote in the first letter that he addressed to the church at Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 2-4, he says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, is a pretty important passage in my life. And it was the passage that God used in my life to, to bring me to an understanding of the biblical doctrine of election. And for me, God used his word to do this and used his word alone. I was out of college. I was working, at, I was working for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was living at a campground, a conference center, and I was still involved with FCA. And I was asked to, to be a huddle leader at this high school retreat. And... Um, I was asked to do a buzz group. We called them buzz groups. It was a breakout seminar. And uh, my, my uh, topic was given to me. It was on your identity in Christ. And so I was asked to kind of do a, a session about who we are in Christ. And so I remember, I remember sitting in my living room and uh, sitting on the floor and just opening my Bible and just looking at all the things in Scripture that talk about who we are in Christ. And so I saw in John chapter 1, you are a child of God. I wrote that one down. 
And 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation in Christ. Galatians 2.20, you are crucified with Christ. And so I was just adding them. I was kind of started in Matthew, and I just started working through the New Testament. And when I got to 2 Thessalonians, I saw these verses where Paul says, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. And so I said, that's going on my list, chosen by God. And I put it at the very top. I thought, that's where we need to start, chosen by God. I was excited to learn of this theological truth in Marshall, Indiana, for I had never heard this before. And so I began to teach it immediately. I had not heard of Augustine or Martin Luther or John Calvin or Charles Spurgeon. I didn't even know who R.C. Sproul was at that time. In fact, I thought Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. were the same guy. (laughs) I was way off. And I just taught it because that's what the Bible said. And I believed it. Because I had read and embraced 2 Timothy 3.16, which says that all scripture, right? All scripture is God-breathed, including those scriptures that are difficult and hard to understand. So I was excited. But I quickly learned that not everyone was excited about the doctrine of election. And not everyone believed in the way that I did that God chose us before the foundation of the world, that God chose us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that God chose us when we were completely incapable of choosing him. I'll never forget teaching that to these high school kids. And I started out by saying, your identity in Christ, number one, you are chosen by God. God chose you from the beginning for salvation. And girls started crying. And this was supposed to be a lecture, but they had questions. And I was like, this isn't how this is supposed to go, but what are your questions? And they said, well, um, I don't like that. Like, what if God didn't choose my friend to be saved? And I said, just again, not knowing, I said, God is just, God is good. And be thankful that he chose you. And I was like, okay, let's move on. And um, I angered a bunch of kids, a bunch of high school girls crying, and I was 21. I didn't know what to do. (laughs) The doctrine of election is a difficult doctrine. It, It is hard for our finite and our sinful minds to grasp and to comprehend because we want to figure God out. We want to understand him completely, but we forget what he says in his word. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a verse I've quoted so many times since that day where we read the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. Another verse, a couple verses I quote, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Romans 11, I mean, Romans, how many commentator, commentaries have I seen on the, go, on the book of Romans, which is like a gospel, where you have chapters 1 to 8, but where's 9 to 16? I remember as a, as a young man, and I was learning to study the Bible, and I was wanting to study Romans, and I found these commentaries on Romans 1 to 8, but that's where they stopped. 
Because in chapters 9 and 10 and 11, Paul says some really difficult things. But in chapter 33, it's like he throws up his hands and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. And since coming to an understanding of the biblical doctrine of election, that God is sovereign even in salvation, I have read men like Augustine and Luther Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur. And in the introduction to that great work by Martin Luther, The Bondage of the Will, J.I. Packer, who is now with the Lord, writes this. Are there problems raised by this biblical doctrine of the absolute sovereignty of God and providence and grace? Of course there are. Everything that God reveals of himself transcends man's comprehension. Every doctrine, therefore, must of necessity terminate in mystery. And man must, must most humbly acquiesce in having it so. God does not tell men more of his purpose than man needs to know. And just because man's knowledge of what God is doing is always incomplete, his actions will often appear to man to have precisely opposite characteristics to those which he himself ascribes to them. Faith will not lean to its own understanding of the appearance. Faith will take God's word as a safe index to the reality and will wait patiently till contrary appearances dissolve away with the coming of greater light. When we realize that we cannot figure God out and we concede that some things must remain a mystery, then we want to object and say, that is not fair. We question God and say, if God has the ability to save everyone, why does he not do so? I think it's okay to question God on the doctrine of election, but we are asking the wrong question. The question should be, if God knew that we would sin against him, trespass his law, spurn his holiness time and time again, and do these things even after he saved us from our sins, why would he choose anyone at all? That is the question. That is the mystery. J.I. Packer has written another book. He's going to get a lot of love today because he went to be with the Lord in 2020. But he wrote a book called 18 Words. And in his chapter on election, he writes this. The fact that God chooses to bless certain guilty sinners cannot be accounted for in any terms other than his own good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. They are predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. If you, a Christian, should ask, why did God choose me? But Jesus, why me, as a modern lyric puts it? The Bible answer is because in his mercy he was pleased to. And that is the end of the matter. At this point, therefore, you should stop asking questions and start to worship and give thanks. I love Dr. Packer. And that is exactly what Paul is saying here. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. So friend, if you are saved this morning, if you are here today and you find yourself in Christ, remember this, God chose you. You did not first choose him. He chose you before you could choose. He chose you before the foundation of the world. 
Salvation is of the Lord. I love that phrase. We see it in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. I trust a man who spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And Paul, as he says in Romans 9 there, verse 16, so then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Thirdly, we see that we are justified by God. Justified by God. Verse 13, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. The word justified is not found in this verse, but this is what God does for us when we are saved, when we place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Justified is most definitely a biblical word. Paul uses this term throughout the New Testament, especially in Romans. Romans 3, 23 to 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And then Galatians 2.16 Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. The gospel, the good news is this, that we are justified by Christ through faith and through faith alone that our salvation is not dependent on us, hallelujah, but it depends on Christ and on his atoning work on the cross. The doctrine of justification was of special concern to the Apostle Paul. You see this clearly when you read and study the book of Romans. The message of justification is his way of formulating the essential gospel message that through the death of Jesus Christ, guilty sinners who were once under the wrath of Almighty God have now come into a new relationship with God as his beloved sons and daughters through grace. Justification to Paul is, as Packer writes again, God's act of remitting the sins of and reckoning righteousness to ungodly sinners freely by his grace through faith in Christ on the ground not of their own works but of the representative righteousness and redemptive propitiatory substitutionary blood shedding of Jesus Christ on their behalf to justify in the bible means to declare righteous it is legal terminology Justify is a forensic term. Many of you know this. It is to declare of a man on trial who is guilty of trespassing the law that he is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. Justification is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation, that of acquittal and legal immunity. One more time from J.I. Packer. Justification is God's fundamental act of blessing 
for it saves them from the past and secures them for the future. It consists on the one hand of the pardon of sin and the ending of our exposure to God's enmity and wrath through our reconciliation to him. On the other hand, it includes the bestowal of a righteous man's status and a title to all the blessings which God promises to the just, a thought which Paul amplifies by linking justification with the adoption of believers as God's sons and heirs. Friends, God takes sinners who are sinful, vile, unholy, and unrighteous and declares them to be what they are not, righteous, based solely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God declares that we are sinless even though we still sin. The Latin here, simul justice et peccator, translation simultaneously justified and yet a sinner. Friends, if you are in Christ this day, you have been justified. You have been declared righteous by a righteous and a holy God. Hallelujah. Number four, we see that we are sanctified by the Spirit. Sanctified by the Spirit. Verse 13, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. The end purpose of God's choosing us, of God's election of us, was salvation. God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. There's a purpose there. But now Paul tells us how that this was accomplished. He says, through sanctification by the Spirit and faith, in the truth. This is a great biblical phrase, one full of theological truth where two truths come together, the divine and the human. Here we see the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Let's talk about the sovereignty of God. Paul writes here, sanctification by the spirit. Sanctified means to to make holy, to consecrate to set apart. God's work of salvation involves the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying us or setting us apart as believers in Christ. And that is a reference to that sanctification of position, which every Christian has the moment he believes. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 10, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. We have been sanctified. We have been set apart. 
we have been made holy. First by the Spirit, second by faith in the truth. But then we see here also the responsibility of man. Friends, you and I are responsible to believe, to embrace the gospel, to place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. John 5.24, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. This is what Paul said to the Thessalonians after telling them that they were chosen by God for salvation. In his first epistle to them, chapter 1, verses 9 to 10 says, For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. We are saved by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But that salvation, that justification is accessed through faith. And so we see the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man working together to bring about my sanctification and your sanctification as well. I love it. You see it in verses like John six thirty seven, where Jesus says, all that the Father gives me So there we see divine sovereignty. But then he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Belief, man's responsibility. And the result is this. He says, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. It is true that we are to continue pursuing sanctification as believers in Jesus Christ. If you would go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And look at what Paul says here about our own sanctification, beginning in verse 3. For this is the will of God. I always love that when Paul says this is the will of God. If you ever want to know what the God, God's will is, it tells us in Scripture. Here you go. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you, also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Peter would say this, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Friends, we are to pursue sanctification until we are taken home to glory. But positionally, we have been sanctified. We have been set apart by Christ. We have been made holy and we belong to him. We were once at war with him, but now the Bible says we are at peace with him. We were once afar off from him, but now we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
We were once his enemies, but now he calls us friends. Beloved, we have been sanctified by the Spirit and by faith in the truth. The fifth thing I want to look at as we think about the spiritual resume of the true believer is we are glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 14, it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great verse of scripture. And once again, the emphasis is on God. It was for this, Paul says, he called you through our gospel. This morning we plopped right down in the middle of 2 Thessalonians and I have not given you the theme nor the context of this book. Many of you know it already. The theme is the day of the Lord. And for the context, I want to look at some verses with you so that you will have a greater appreciation for what Paul is saying and so that you will have much gratitude for the salvation that is of the Lord. So in 2 Thessalonians, go back to chapter 1. And we'll begin reading in verse 3. Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Drop down to chapter, chapter two, picking it up in verse seven. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by his appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. 
But then we see that word but in verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, how great is our God that he called us out of this world, sparing us from destruction through his gospel that we may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This salvation grounded in the sovereign choice of God in eternity past and initiated in present personal experience through the call of the gospel looks forward to the future to a glorious culmination that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This expression looks forward to the divinely intended goal for them. Another great Bible commentator, D. Edmund Hebert, says, their call received through the gospel did not immediately transport them to glory, but it did set them on the way toward their attaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory is the splendor and honor that now belong to our Lord as exalted at the right hand of God. That glory will be shared with his saints at his return. D. Edmund Hebert is now with the Lord He's been there for a while, and he is enjoying the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when he wrote his commentary on First and Second Thessalonians, he was very confident that believers in Christ would share in the glory of Christ upon his return. How could he be so sure? Well, he was assured by the word of God. I read Romans 8 earlier. 28 to 30, Paul says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become, to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Friends, this is nothing short of incredible. Those who the Lord foreknew, past tense, those who he knew and not those who knew him first, he predestined, past tense. He predetermined and foreordained that they would be conformed to the image of his son. Those whom the Lord predestined, he also called, past tense. The Lord called, Those whom the Lord called, he also justified, past tense, justified through faith in Christ. And those whom he glorified, uh, those whom he justified, he also glorified, past tense. Are you in a glorified state? Am I in a glorified state? I don't think so. Are we already like the glorified Christ? No, We are not yet glorified, but Paul writes as if it has already happened. As if we have been glorified, because this is, as theologians have called this, the golden chain, the unbreakable chain. If the Lord knew you in eternity past, he has predestined you for eternal life. If the Lord predestined you for eternal life, he has called you to himself. If he has called you to himself, he has justified you through faith. He has declared you righteous. 
And if he has declared you to be righteous, you will be glorified. It's a done deal. Take it to the bank. Bet it all on Christ. Not that I advocate betting. But he will bring you to glorification. Paul says in, in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Friend, I want you to know and be reminded today that salvation is of the Lord. The Lord loves. The Lord chooses. The Lord saves and justifies. The Lord sanctifies. And the Lord glorifies. All praise goes to him. We join Jonah, not in the belly of a fish, but in this auditorium, and we say salvation is of the Lord. Rock of Ages, we sang earlier, by Augustus Toplady, writes these incredible words. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Let's pray. Lord, how good it is to know that you loved us And you do love us now. You have loved us with an everlasting love. Lord, you will never stop loving us. Lord, we who are in Christ will only know of your love forever. We will never be separated from your love. We will never know your wrath, your anger, and your justice, but only your love, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, thank you for choosing us for salvation. The Bible is clear that we were dead in our sins, but you chose us in you before the foundation of the world. You elected us. You predestined us for eternal life. And Lord, we don't understand why you would do that, but we are grateful. Lord, you have saved us. We could not save ourselves. We were dead. We were children of wrath. We were subject to Satan and his evil rule. We were by nature children of wrath and unable to change our dreadful and depraved condition. We were helpless. We were hopeless. But you saved us. You have justified us. You have declared that we are guiltless because of Jesus Christ. We are saved. We are justified. Lord, you sanctify us. And we thank you for that process. Lord, how you are working in us. Lord, you've already sanctified us as we see positionally, but you are sanctifying us even now. Lord, you are making us more like you. You are conforming us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We know that is your goal for every one of us, to make us look like your son. And Lord, that can be hard and difficult, but Lord, as we see in Romans 8, it cannot be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And Lord, you glorify us. You take us all the way 
from knowing us, predestining, predestinating us, calling us, justifying us, you will take us all the way to glorification. Thank you for the confidence that Paul writes this, Lord. And it wasn't his confidence. It was the confidence that he had in you and in your word. Lord, that you who began something and you who began a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for the hope, the joy that we have knowing that, Lord, you finish what you start. Lord, I would pray if there's anyone here this day that has never trusted in you, that, God, you would be gracious to them as you have been to me and so many others in this room. Lord, that you would cause them to see that, God, you are holy, you are righteous. No one can even see your glory. As Mike reminded us, Moses had to be placed in the cleft of the rock and only see the back parts of God. And yet his face was glowing from that experience as he came down the mountain. Lord, help us to see that you are, that person to see that you are holy and that they are a sinner, that they have trespassed your law, that they have fallen short of the glory of God and that Jesus Christ is their only hope, their only way of salvation. And God, would you be kind to them and grant them repentance of their sin and faith to believe in your son, that their resume would go from listing all the things that they have done to simply saying Jesus did it all, and it is because of him that I am in Christ Jesus. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.